Episode 32 done, Billy. The Power of Friendships Part 2. Lots of great questions this week from listeners about friendships and their kids, including things like how do I promote friendship amongst my kids if they've got neurodiversity, if they're shy, if they're dealing with social exclusion, lots of other great topics and questions in there. Yeah, when they have fallouts with their mates, yep. you know, kids who have mental health problems. So, yeah, lots of great stuff and hopefully really useful practical strategies. Yeah, there's some super practical tips this week. Again, send us questions for these part two apps. It drives the whole thing. Uh, love this one, Billy. Super handy. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. I don't want to see anybody else either. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good afternoon, Billy. How are you? Good, Nick. How are you going? Doing well, mate. Sounding a little bit raspy on the microphone this week. Um, might pay off. I'm not sound no. even more <laughs> deep and dulcet, Tony. Still got that perfect head for podcasts. <laughs> how a couple of people have said to me. <laughs> no, it's great. It's been great actually seeing people engage so much with our short video stuff. Yeah, I know. We've really upped it. I was worried when we hit 4K um, definition that oh, we need to get a makeup department, but here we are. <laughs> Nice positive feedback, except someone last night described us. I'm sorry, but you two look like something from the Flemish art. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I thanked that person. I thought it was pretty funny. You thanked them in Flemish, didn't you? I did. Badunke. Badunke. <laughs> so, no, it's great. But, no, great great week. It's quite funny because the previous episode, I was a bit unsure of how helpful it would people would find us because mm. it's kind of a you know a really positive topic and one of our lighter ones about the power of friendship. But... um. Yeah, people seem to be really connected with it and we'll talk to some of the questions that have come through. But yeah, it's just really great that that kind of positive approach and yep. prevention and what's my role in supporting the good stuff has landed so strongly with families and professionals. Yeah, friendships are important, which brings us to the title of this episode. It is episode 32 uh, off the back of Dumb and Dumber and the power of friendship. Um, we had lots of questions this week from people. Um, we've categorised a few. <clears throat> But as per last time we did a two-part episode, so the second part where we take everyone's questions, we've actually decided to keep a couple in long form. So where we think it's most important to get the detail, uh, where things are complex for people, we've found that a lot of people are experiencing that same complexity, so we've kept it in for a couple of them. The other ones are a bit broader, people can get their head around a bit easier through a podcast, Um, so we've decided to sort of approach it that way. hope that's cool with everyone. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that sounds like a great plan. And um, yeah, shall we get stuck in? Yeah, plan's a loose term. It's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot of planning in oh, any of plan. these episodes. <laughs> but here we go. Yeah. So I've got eight questions this week, two specific. So let's start with a broad one to start with, Billy. She had lots of questions about shy kids and how can we help them build friendships? Mm. Yeah, so that, that was great to see questions coming in around that because there's kind of lots of developmental theory and research that's been done around kids that are shy. Mm. Remembering that I think we've spoken a bit through a number of episodes around temperament and kind of some kids will have a temperament that is a bit slower to warm up um, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. That's not, oh, they're doomed. 
but they can be at risk if they're a bit shy and slow to warm up of, um, you know, things like becoming anxious around social relationships, being a bit more withdrawn, not being as open to engaging with new people and things like that. So it's really important that parents and professionals that are around kids that are shy make sure that they encourage that social development. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, what that looks like is really interesting. Um, we know that a lot of families um, role model positive social relationships, so mm-hmm. really early on, making sure. The risk with shy kids is that, um, what, like everything in bloody parenting, it's about the sweet spot, which I think is what our blurb is about this podcast, <laughs> finding the sweet spot. But yeah, the sweet spot between... Being gentle and responsive and matching their needs, but also not saying, I know you struggle with this, so you'll never have to do it. You'll never have to kind of go out and take a chance socially. And exactly what that looks like is about creating opportunities, but more passively. So you don't, Mm. you're not like riding the child going, Hey mate, go and talk to that kid, go and do that, join the footy clean, whatever. But you give them opportunities to stretch. And some shy kids, a lot of it is around the initiation. So sometimes it's really good to even like role play and practice how do you initiate conversations and games and things with kids and how do you kind of say the stuff you're interested in and all the social rules that I think are going to come up in other questions. Those kids, you know, it's just to get started that they often struggle with. But making sure that they continue to progress is really important that they don't kind of stay at the level of not really interacting with peers because they're a bit worried. So exposure, practice and progress is what you're trying to get at there. Yeah, so there's lots of different ways that, you know, components of initiating engagement socially have with them um, in terms of like simple stuff like making sure you look the person in the eye, you speak Mm. clearly – you, you know, really demonstrate your intention, you ask them questions, you know, open it up, you're really clear about would you like to play with me, could I join in, whatever. And then what you do is like once the child is showing levels of that, you reinforce it and go, that's amazing, that was so cool how you did that. And even queuing them up for it and going, we're going to go to the playground and it'll be amazing if you can say hi to a new kid. And it's fine if they don't, but if they do, you kind of support them and you can set it up as well where your friends' kids are there and stuff and you like help them scaffold it. So it's really important. And then the car ride home, you're like, that was amazing. You know, I saw you go up and, you know, you asked that person if you could go on the swing next. And you should be proud of what you did there. Exactly. You should be proud. Not you're a good boy, you're a good girl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'll... um, I'll think about how, yeah, how we can do that more in future episodes because we could do a full episode just on that. Sure. And it's an important one to kind of think about how we skill up kids. Fantastic. Um, there was another, yeah, there's another bit to kind of shyness, which is that sometimes parents will kind of unintentionally role model that kind of shy kind of lead into it and mm-hmm. be worried about it failing. And it's really important that when kids are shy about socially engaging, that when they look around, they see that, you know, where we're supporting them and we're not overly anxious as well. Yep. Because sometimes if that's present, it can mean that they're already failing before they even get into it because they look around and go, oh, dad's really nervous about me going on the playground when there's new kids here or, you know, really worried about how I'm going to go at the school fate because there's going to be 300 kids or whatever. So trying as much as possible to not just role model pro-social stuff but really have a narrative that is them succeeding socially. Okay. Success. Okay, focus on that. I mm. like it. Yes. Good. Yes, thank you. Bravo. So, no, great question though because, yeah, Ripper. I think we could probably do – I'm trying to think what would be the right movie, but we could probably do a whole thing on shyness because there's heaps of theory on it and how you support them and, 
and obviously it's not intentionally a bad thing it just places kids at a higher risk of kind of future challenges in relationships and some stuff around anxiety american beauty guy was pretty shy in that Gillen yes hall? was it Gillen hall i can't remember no 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 it's the guy out of yellowstone but um but yeah great Great example. I'm not sure if it's a great movie, but no. a great example. A lot of <laughs> our movies aren't great. A lot, a lot of complex ones, yeah. <laughs> Don't unpack that one. Um, so question number two. We had a bunch of people ask about kids being excluded and how to respond. Yeah. So this is a great one because there's a few levels to this question. There's kind of what do we do as parents and then there's what do we do as the broader community around kids that are being excluded. Oh, so there's a role... For not just parents in this, yeah. Right. For not just parents and everything. No, I. Yeah. No, no, no. I know you know no. that you're. No, that's fair. That's that. a fi- no, but that's a it's a fair catch because that's my. I'm like yes, no. It's fair, no, but fair it's catch. a common bias is that you know that's yeah. it's mum and dad's job to figure out that kid. No, is, and so is. much of our listener base are teachers, nurses, mm. childcare workers. So, I mean, they're not all their kids they're working with each day. So it is. Important. Yeah, amazing, and but yeah, nurses. We have a lot of school nurses, but yeah, also maternal child health nurses that come in. And um, yeah, and actually all those four professionals, you know, primary school teachers and older educators, early childhood educators, you know, school nurses and maternal child health uh, nurses all have a role, like all of us, all the professionals, especially like the coaches and, you know, the allied health practitioners and everyone. You're big on the sports coaches because it's often where kids choose to be to play a sport. Therefore, it's a great place to identify where they're struggling, right? Definitely. And so, yeah, let's do the everyone else's role first about exclusion and exclusion. then we'll, we'll do the parent one next. So, yeah, the, let's start with the sports coach. There's always going to be parts of life that you're vulnerable to being excluded in um, all through life. And it's a good – like I don't want, you know, anyone to think the expectation is that we need to, you know, make sure kids are never excluded because there are lots of reasons justified and unjustified why kids get excluded Sometimes, you know, they're not old enough to be on that footy team or, gotcha. you know, it's not appropriate that they're a part of that social group and, the part, you know, the activity that they're participating in, whatever. You know what I mean? They're, gotcha. swimming, they're swimming in the adult pool and the kid's totally. too young. So it's like that kid has to learn some lessons about that's why I'm not there. Like it's not an attack on me. It doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. It doesn't mean any of those things. It's just that it's not appropriate for me to be a part of that. There's heaps of reasons though why kids get excluded unnecessarily and obviously we'll do a whole episode on bullying, but that's one we really worry about. Like everything in developmental pediatrics, we need to think about what are, what's a strengths-based approach to that. And so what we see in a lot of kind of play-based group therapy sessions, like the evidence around how do we support social development in kids that might be struggling, is around having certain games where exclusion isn't an option and it's not about winning. It's not about kind of being the team that gets the most goals. It's about inclusion. How do we make sure that everyone stays involved? What's that look like? So you you play the game on the playground or you have the sporting team where you're like, everyone is going to be a part of this. Everyone gets to touch the ball. Rounders. Everyone gets to have a role in the play. Yeah, gotcha. You know, it's not just the person with the best voice or the best dancers. Gotcha, gotcha. Everyone that's here is included. Now that protects the child who's vulnerable to being excluded, but it also develops pro-social skills in all the other kids as well because they see the power of inclusion and how important it is to the strength and diversity of their group, whether it's the footy team, the dance class or whatever. Because we don't want kids that like think that being winning the premiership trumps everything, you know, even if it means that three of the kids have an awful season in the footy club. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why the power of inclusion is actually a really important one. And 
the kids that win the premiership have such a great you know experience through their childhood when that happens because they did it with a group of peers not because they got the medal themselves gotcha. do you know what i mean that's yep. the amazing part and that's the Probably. footy coach thing school is the same like how do you promote inclusion and then look around for the kids that are being excluded and think why it is, you know, what's going on that's happening here? Is it a social dynamic thing? Is it sometimes that individual child needs to be strengthened in pro-social skills? Now, that goes to the second part of the question, which is what does the parent do when the kid's kind of being excluded socially? And it's really important that they're receptive and, you know, non-judgmental about the experience that child's having and support them but actually look and see like what what has happened. Let's hear the story and see, and there might not be any, but see if there's any opportunity for growth and further development in that child. What I mean is not like suck it up, you're going to get bullied, it's just going to happen, just get over it, but actually thinking about what happened that caused that. And some kids, that exclusion is an opportunity to see you know, how do you take perspective of, you know, other kids in this environment and think about, like, what could I have done or, you know, did I read signs early enough, what was happening, and then go back in and think, I want this child wants to be a part of that group, how do I create that opportunity for them to be reintroduced in a way that's going to be meaningful and protected from future exclusion? It's a really important part of it. And as we talked about in the previous episode, all of us, including kids and adolescents, are really vulnerable to that, you know, social exclusion pain. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Dumb question. How can you tell if your kid's being socially excluded at school if you're not there? Just yeah, no, no. Really good question. So the big thing we worry about in how kids are behaving is change. So they come home and they're not talking as much about their peer group. They're not mm. kind of hassling you saying, can I see so-and-so on the weekend? They're not as interested in kind of going to dance class anymore, flags. stuff like that. They red can be flag. red flags for yeah, social yeah, exclusion gotcha. and being left out and isolated. And that's that's the reason you come in. And that, that change is like a really good metric for everything. You know, the kids, kids can have a crummy day and they can be like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. But when you see that persisting for a couple of weeks, there's a good kind of time to reach out. We don't kind of corner kids and say, what's going on? You're not as interested anymore but you create spaces for them, check in how they're going, how's the footy team going, you know, what did you do at lunchtime today, what are you excited for this weekend, and then also speaking to educators. Educators are amazing. Educators spend so much time observing kids' social relationships and a lot of the work we do with schools is like building their capacity to identify the kids that are genuinely struggling and what to do about it. Yeah, it's a really good one. So for me personally, I find it hard when you talk about these things and then I'm thinking you say something and I just go off thinking about I've heard that this week. So one of my daughters is not that keen to go up recently and I'm trying to figure out why that is. Yeah, you mean um, go up to the next? Uh, no, just go up to daycare. Oh, sorry. Just wanting to not go. Yeah. So it might be worth me considering speaking to one of the educators or figuring it out. But yeah, okay. yeah it's I'd, a good I'd way. And then just that. see how she's going in all the other environments, what she's like when you roll to the playground, you know, what she's like when she goes to the birthday parties on the weekend and all that stuff and then thinking about what's going on. Because she might not have the language to describe it. She might just be like, this happened there or whatever. And yeah, the educators are really good. And if you can form like with all of this stuff, if you can form an alliance with all the other people that are around your kid, it's a really good opportunity to have a good wide safety net around them when they're struggling. But once again, I could do so much on exclusion because, yeah, I mean, it's also something I've experienced, you know, and it's it can be 
real hardship. But as I said, it's actually all of our responsibility to come around kids, not just the parents that go, well, bad luck, that happened to them. Sure, you'll sort it out, mum and dad. And you've spoken about that exclusion. That was more in your later teens at one stage, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, it's funny. I think I said this last episode, but I was really lucky that I had a couple of really amazing, strong friendships with like unquestionable positive regard like you know and that really protected me from some of those times but yeah god i had some rough well maybe i'll see if it's i don't want to just be about me but maybe the bullying one will um we'll touch on it a bit more because i think the lived experience is one that means bullying in our kids is something that really hits a nerve for so many of us yep because of how common it is in the community okay cool thank you uh that was on exclusion don't know why I'm summarising. That's <laughs> it's good. not a debate. Um, question three, so a specific question. Hello, stumbled across, uh, stumbled on your podcast, listened to the big episode, which was our parental mental health one, and I am hooked. Um, I sent it to all my parent friends. Thanks very much for that. Um, my father was in the army, so we moved around a lot. Didn't have any opportunities to have those continuous childhood friends. You know the ones where the kids in my high school had known each other since they were five? I always felt like I was on the outer. I played sport and that helped, but I ended up with a bunch of boy mates and fewer girlfriends. Still friends with them, so not unhappy, and definitely, but definitely struggled with breaking into girl-established groups. My partner and I are both, mobile, are both in mobile work, and I think that means work from home. I wonder how I'm might support my kids when they have to move school in years. Sorry, let me go back. I mean, I think that people may move around in their jobs. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Is there any better time to be moving with kids? Not that that can always be avoided. I slightly butchered the end of that question. What they're no, saying is those parents might move at some stage, so how do they manage their kids' friendships when no, they do really. that? Look, the reason this podcast works is because of how genuine we are. Whether it's a dog blacking in the background or I a, did rehearse this question. <laughs> or, I just or came or a under. question. But no, it's a great question. The reason I hit this uh, person back straight away actually when it came through because I was like, what a beautiful example of articulating your own experience as a child and preempting some of the challenges you experienced as a child in your children. And that's why it's really cool. And that's why I'm like not worried at all about this kid because this parent is like amazingly thinking about what's the social journey going to be like for my kid. So, yeah, that's that's the thing that jumps out at me first about that question. And then the second one of like when is the right time and, you know, what's the impact? Look, there can be an increased vulnerability in kids that aren't embedded in social groups for a long period of time and have to move around. And it can be really challenging. So, yeah, I got booted out of high school in term three of year 11, so seven, 16, or seven, no, 16, and I had to jump into a new school. And I reckon it's one of the strongest like adolescent memories I have is the first time walking into that school environment after the f- first recess or break because, you know, you roll in and then you go to the class and you sit there and everyone says, this is Billy, hi, Billy. And then rolling into a new social group, man, it's tough. And I can imagine kids who have to do that because their parents move. It is continually tough but it's actually a phenomenal opportunity for skill development in, in you know, social introductions and engaging. It just means that if you're, you've got to be like this parent, you've got to be conscious that that might mean that the kid struggles with it a bit. 
but you can also do a lot of stuff to protect them. This parent talks about like sport was really protective for them. And I think the reason that is, what's well, heaps of reasons, the reason the sport is so protective is if, if you're the guy who's awesome at Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you're the kid that really loves that, but you move around heaps, you can rock up to, is it dojo? What do you call the place? Rock up to a gym. A gym, sorry. <laughs> that was maybe Karate Kid going. <laughs> but you can rock up to a gym and you might know no one there, yep. but you've got this understanding of the social norms in that activity. Full hierarchy, like, skill sets, yep. And you also, you have a really great kind of avenue of self-esteem and an expression of your skills. So people will come in and even if you're not the best at it, you can kind of go in and understand what it's like. You can show effort. There's a really great scaffolding around social development there as opposed to kind of just rolling into an environment being like, what do we have in common? Let's figure it out. So you can see that this parent as a kid experienced the benefits of that. And how do they set themselves up? In terms of the timing, that's such an interesting question. Like if they did have a say about when they move, when would you do it? I think we – yeah, it's such a challenging one. I think – so, yeah, we're – I mean, we'll talk about it a bit more in the intro to the next question, but we are trying to shift where we live and where Yvette goes to daycare um, at the moment um, because of a you know thing that's out of our hands. Um, and it is, it makes me go, oh gosh, you know, she's coming up to a year and a half. What's it like for her to be, have been somewhere for over a year and all the same educators and peers and then a new place? It's, it's actually, if I'm put on my clinical hat, it's less of a worry when they're kind of preschool aged, you know, and early childhood. I think primary school can be tough, um, especially the second half of primary school. So once they kind of get to 9, 10, 11, and then through teenage years, they have really deep, meaningful friendships. So those times can be challenging. But it certainly doesn't mean that you don't shift them if that's the best thing for your family. It's just that you really early on signal that, have conversations about it. How do we put in protective stuff? And protective stuff can be, you know, participating in online engagement via, you know, video chats or... Gotcha. We'll talk about video games, but video game communities and, you know, using social media as a platform to maintain those friendships they have and then coming back and saying, like, we visit back to that place a couple of times a year. Let's make sure you get to, you know, see those friends and we keep maintaining that. And there's lots of people that in their adult life have lifelong friends with people that they didn't go through all of high school with. It's just they had really strong connections that were reinforced by parents. Yeah, so nice. I think that's the – yeah, that's how I think about that question. I always hear it a lot. People are like, oh, you know, like I've got to move into state or I'm moving back from or I've got to move to the UK for work and they're always like, oh, it's not a good time or it's a good time. It's always – it's a question that a lot of parents mm. are faced with but I don't think – like right now I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. But it's yeah. kind of interesting to think about when you would or when you, when you wouldn't. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, and just kind of watching your kid as well, and involving them in that discussion, and them mm. having an understanding of why and what are the things we can do to protect your friendships with Billy and Nick, because we know, you know. Well, when we move to Hollywood with this whole thing, Billy, I'm sort of wondering when the right time is for the girls, and you know, we might not just for that reason. <laughs> yeah, we can um, we can come back every so often, and yeah, when we're doing the world tour, <laughs> <laughs> world tour. <laughs> Anyway, next question. Next Shall question. we keep moving? Um, oh, there's a couple of cracking questions coming up. Seriously, these ones I I'm really looking forward to you responding to. A lot of person, a lot of a lot of parents asking questions about friendship fallouts and difficulties and how to help their kids with these experiences. Friendship fallouts. Yeah. Okay. So have you seen this with Freddie yet? 
Yeah, a little bit. It's really short term. It yep. changes quickly. She's only four, mm. but I've seen it, and it's it's really hard. They're all emotion. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. do you think from like 31 episodes in and all of the conversations we've had and all the amazing stuff from listeners? No pressure. Um, <laughs> when I, I have changed a little bit from um, – I used to just be like, oh, she'll be right, mate. Mm. Um, I still do that occasionally in the moment. Not sure if I want to give it too much oxygen to breathe, but – Otherwise, I will actually ask her about what actually happened and try and understand, like, oh, what's happened? Like, tell me what happened. Like, how did it come about? So she can try and unpack it a bit. Being really honest, I'm always ready to jump into the moment to be like, oh, that just happens and it'll be right. But I allow her to talk a little bit more to it as opposed to just writing it off and telling her she'll be right. So I will, I will try and let her speak to it. I will try and let her unpack why and then try and get her to arrive at, oh, what do, why do you think that responded, that bust up, and then get her to sort of get there. But not all the time and in a perfect moment I would. Mm. I feel like you want. It's amazing. No, no, it's great. It's really good because, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, if we ever have a falling out, I'm sure that you'll be able to just keep going with this podcast <laughs> <laughs> being the key ingredient because that's beautiful. That's exactly what it is. Like it's, you know, giving space for them to talk about it. Yeah. And that, you know, I actually know you well enough to know that that kind of dismissal, she'll be right, that you're talking about, you're doing that in a guided, directed reason. You're not dismissing what nah. she's experienced. You're looking for resolution and her feeling better and all that stuff. And that's yeah. nice that you're like, as she's getting older, you're stepping in more of a kind of tell me what happened. Yeah, yep. To hear the story, but also to validate her experience. And that's kind of, that's where Freddie's at. When she's a little bit older and she's, you know, she's four, but when she's a little bit older and hits primary school, it's a really good opportunity to develop heaps of skills in her. And you can start doing it now early on. Go on. But we know once kids are in primary school that there is going to be social conflict. And that's, as we've talked about, with parents and siblings, that conflict occurs and it's good kind of testing ground. But there's a bit more at stake when you're with peers because there's there's no like obligation to that relationship. That relationship might actually end and it might be that you don't have a friendship with them anymore. Mm. When you're younger, there's, you know, as you've said, there are much more superficial relationships and more superficial conflicts. But it's a good testing ground for like how... Yep, that's that must have really hurt you. That must be really hard. I would be really upset about that. You know, talk to me about it, as we've always said, non-judgmental and stuff. And you can start doing early guidance around problem solving. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, what do you think would be a good way to show Samantha that you're still her friend or that you'd still like to be friends? When kids get older, you can kind of come in with that theory of mind stuff and empathy about why do you think they got upset with you? And really early on, you know, kind of not saying it's your fault, but giving them opportunities to have some perspective of the other person in the role that's created the conflict. Yeah, Yeah, the theory of mind stuff, the empathy stuff is great. Yeah, so when they're settled, it's not like they come into you screaming and be like, well, imagine what it was like to be them. (laughs) You know, it's about afterwards saying, Samantha really enjoys your company and I know you guys, you know, have so much fun together. I wonder why this has happened. I see you do that. With my daughter sometimes. I'm so impressed when you do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you do it yeah. really well. Yeah, I, I don't realise I'm doing it, but no. Freddie's, Freddie's awesome. She's, you know, Freddie's such a gorgeous kid that it's, yeah. she's very easy to interact with. Very good at that. But, you know, but that's kind of what you want to do. And and then, um, 
you know, there's lots of different elements to that that we could, we should do a whole podcast just on social skills training. But thinking about, you know, was there an element that my child needs further skills in that have resulted in this frequently occurring conflict? And sometimes it can be, yeah, they're just not very good at taking turns, you know, so they often have conflicts because they really love doing that activity. But the other kids are like, she never gives me a go, you know. So how do you look at that and go, ah, oh, that's the specific reason that she's hitting a wall and that every time she goes to the playground, there's, it's always kind of ends in a bit of a disaster because she struggles to get off the swing when the other kids are waiting for it. So you're like, cool, you cue them up and go, we're going to go. And I reckon, you know, you help someone else on the swing first and then I'm going to, you know, help you. That Then you get off and help the next person go on and all that stuff. And then as we talk about, you know, in the ride home, you're like, that was amazing. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, so I could do heaps on that as well. But That's awesome. Yeah, there's lots of reasons why that kind of conflict happens in friendships and as what we're doing is really setting kids up just like the training wheels on a bike for when they're teens and we potentially have no knowledge that that conflict's occurring, how do we make sure they feel like their feelings are valid and they're allowed to have some boundaries around their own role in that relationship but also have good conflict resolution skills which has to have an aspect of empathy and understanding what the other person's feelings and experience was. I like the one around the introducing empathy. Mm. So that's a good way to just like manage conflict. Nice one. Yeah. Stand it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I love this next one because I've got some thoughts. Not some thoughts. Okay. I love this. Well. We'll throw it to you first. (laughs) Let's not. (laughs) Let's let you go first and I'll go, yeah, that's what I would have done. Uh, we had a bunch of people sending questions about how to deal with undesirable friends. Yeah. Yeah. So why, I don't know, I had heaps yeah. of undesirable mates. Did I, you? No. Yeah. No, they weren't undesirable. I'd, I'd mates who would, might have been naughty or something. But, yeah, i got some strong feelings about this. I reckon they're bloody important. I think that it's a balance because if they're a really good friend, that's, I can't get everything I want from my parents. Yeah. Right? And I might not be able to get everything I want from certain friendships. I think that if – I don't know what makes a kid un, – a mate – what a parent says is – I sort of understand a kid that's undesirable. They might have some bad behaviours. But I reckon teaching a kid to identify that they're bad behaviours, but that's not a bad kid because the kid's not bad. So an undesirable, an undesirable friend to me is someone saying, that's a bad kid. I'm like, it's not a bad kid. They do some stupid – stuff yeah and that that's just they do stupid stuff doesn't mean i'm going to do stupid stuff and if i'm actually taught correctly i can navigate that but that's still a friend a mate's a mate and i was big on that growing up yeah it's my two cents no don't feel bad about swearing i think we broke the rule of swearing (laughs) on this podcast a long time ago even one of the instagram clips we loaded it up and straight away they beeped beeped you can't silence me can't can't beep you on the podcast though (laughs) Um, no, definitely. And I, yeah, mate, you know that I agree. Like, there's no bad kids. I get sent a lot of kids to see in clinic that are supposedly bad kids, and I haven't found one yet. No. Nah. Probably a few thousand deep. So, yeah. Um, but no, I had heaps of undesirable mates. Like, it's really funny because I can, I can remember those times. So, but most people don't know, but I grew up in Frankston and um, loved skateboarding. And so, I used to skate around Frankston. Frankston, for those that don't know, Frankston. Like has some there parts of Frankston that have some challenges. Is that like is that kind of what you're in? Totally. Yeah. But I I didn't realize growing up in Frankston that it was it had that perception until I left Frankston. Yeah. Just like I didn't realize in those relationships 
that they were undesirable friendships until after the friendships. I was in those friendships because I was seeking social connection. Yeah. I don't care as a teenager or whatever. I, my first question is not, what's the person like, you know, in terms of are they performing antisocial activities? Yeah. And if they are, I'll steer away from them. If I see opportunities to connect, I go to them. I'm still like that. You know, I roll into a pub and as I'm ordering a beer, if the person next to me says hi, I'll say hi and have a chat. I don't kind of go, oh, hang on a second. What's this person like? You know, what's are they a criminal or whatever? You know, you're just connecting. It's what all we're trying to do. And as we spoke about in the last podcast, there's a really big evolutionary physiological drive to connect. Yep. And teenagers are seeking it. Sure. And we, I mean, we even know like oxytocin is one of the big hormones that form social bonds from infancy but it continues to play a role in the relationships that we build. And so when parents see an undesirable friend, it's really easy for them to go, why would you hang out with someone that behaves like that? When in actually what we need to remember is that my kids are seeking social connection more than they're seeking like what are the correct friendships. Yeah. So the answer is in that. What you want to do is build other friendships if you think that one is not going to be ever you know, sustainable in a positive way. We want to build other opportunities to socially connect that give them, you know, safer environments. And, you know, I see a lot of friends that I grew up with. I wasn't doing these things, but they had really strong extracurricular things. Like one mate was really into surf lifesaving. Yep. And it was so protective because he was swimming early hours of the morning, seven days a week and down at the beach every weekend and all that stuff. So he was always less likely than me and my other mates to kind of have massive nights and be getting up to mischief. Also, like what we've talked about in the previous question with this, and that's why it's cool to hear you saying, you know, pushing back against that kind of bad kids theory, which this person didn't have in their question, but often comes yeah. up. Multiple people. Yeah, what's going on for that kid? And, you know, I was around a lot of undesirable kids and I was often, you know, had security guards chasing us while we're skating through car parks and all of that stuff. But the one thing I'm really impressed by both of my parents that they did is in both different environments because I was hanging out in different houses with my mum and my dad at that stage, they really fostered bringing those kids in to be a part of our family and I think for some of them it was a really helpful sanctuary that saw them not as the bad kid but saw them as a kid who was struggling with certain things and gave them opportunities for healthier, more pro-social behaviour and relationships and kind of building their self-esteem and all that stuff. As we're, The reason we're doing this episode is positive friendships are one of the most protective and positive predictors of good mental health in adult life and pro-social development and being connected and safe and you know feeling like you're valued in the community so those kids are vulnerable to it i don't say that that's the responsibility of the parent that's like i wish my kid wasn't hanging out with these kids or this child but if there's a little kind of chink of opportunity to be like maybe this person doesn't have good relationships Maybe my kid is the only positive one and maybe I can in some way be a positive part of that kid's life is a really cool opportunity. But, yeah, it can be really hard, especially if there's kind of really significant antisocial behaviour. The other thing I guess is when it just comes to my brain then is a really important pro-social skill is being assertive in your own needs and your own boundaries. And sometimes kids will be trying to connect at the cost of that so they'll be like, I just need mates. So I'll, you know, they'll push me into doing some pretty bad stuff. But I need mates, so I'll do that. And I struggle to say no, that I don't think that's the right thing to do. And so it's another skill development to say, mate, you've got to be able to say, like, you don't want to do it. That's what I mean. Like, 
I think that's the important part, like guiding them and going, you know the difference between right and wrong and you know what you can and can't do and you can always pull yourself out of those things, don't worry. Yeah, exactly. And just the way almost beautifully how you've described it then, like don't worry, but I could tell the way that you role-played that is like we'll work on it together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And really early on you can say that. You can, you know, teach kids to – we've got an amazing question that we can't touch at the moment because we'll have to do it on a separate topic, but about like, you know, how do we teach kids to be able to say no? Like I don't want to do stuff and it's – um. It's a really important development of, you know, self-esteem is having that ability to be assertive in what your own needs are. And sometimes those kids that get caught up in bad groups, it's because all of them actually have low self-esteem and they're all kind of seeking connection Mm. and they lack kind of positive role modelling around things like that. Yeah. So it's a great one. Awesome. Um, This one... (laughs) Do twins often struggle to make friends? <laughs> yeah, I don't say it's a lighter one, but it's not light. I don't mean it like, oh, but no, it's not light to the person that might have twins. Sorry, but I was like, to me, I'm, I can't picture it. I'm like, I don't have twins. I don't have no. No. Do you, Do you ever have any mates that are twins? Uh, no, not, not close mates. No, nah, yeah. at all, yeah. actually. Yeah, I did. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. What was it like? Yeah, yeah it was awesome. Oh. Like, yeah, yeah. So this was like when I was – um going through uni and then um, they were two of my closest mates actually, two brothers. They actually okay. went on and became like movie filmmakers. Okay, and nice. I, I got a gig in one of their movies actually, went over to Hollywood and Let, you <laughs> taken my 15 seconds of fame. You went to Hollywood and we were in a film. Yeah, I was on the, you know that um, in California. Chinese. You went to California. Yeah, what's that? You know, the Asian cinema? Um, the China. Man's Chinese Theatre? Yeah, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, I was on the big screen there for about five seconds. But, um, but yeah, it was awesome. But no, those were twins. And it's actually a really good link for me and my brain to what the evidence is around friendship development because they were really tight. All right, we're going to come back to this, but go and <laughs> crack on. <laughs> they were um, – I can't believe we got to 32 episodes and I haven't mentioned that. I usually tell people that story. Uh, I can't believe I haven't told you how many know. years I've been mates. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll get back to it. Anyway, the um, so these guys were really tight, like just yeah. inseparable, beautiful, amazing friendship. And um, they were actually, and a lot of the evidence looks at identical twins and these boys were or are. Anyway, they um, they were a good example of a really positive outcome for twins, which is pretty much a majority of them actually. They have phenomenal social skills because they get such an opportunity to role model them because they've got a peer who's so connected with them. They can sound off. Yeah, so they often, so especially identical twins, but twins will report that they have a deeper more meaningful, more connected relationship with the other twin than they do with other siblings. So, and compared to siblings that aren't twins as well, they are often really connected. And we used to worry, oh, they won't make mates with other people because they'll just have each other or whatever. Oh, is that the worry? I didn't know what the worry was. It's because they rely too heavily on one another. Yeah, so, you know, people used to, and often, and it's not actually a bad thing, but often parents will be like, oh, I've got to make sure they're in different classes together. I've got to make sure, like, one plays footy and one does drama or whatever. Right, okay. To separate them so that they don't isolate off. But, yeah, they actually have really good pro-social skills because they just get so much opportunity at a developmentally Yeah, I thought they'd just be like... That, that was why I was like, oh, this feels – like I didn't think it would be a concern for that mm. reason that they'd be like, oh, there's always someone to sound off. Like imagine having a peer available to you all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, any parents listening to this podcast is an amazing parent because they're finding the time to do this and reflecting on parenting practice. And that's the important bit is that you give 
a twin's pro-social opportunities outside of the twin as, right, they, get, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. as they get older. Cool. But cool, they cool. will often, you know, start to split off a little bit and it's good for them yeah. to have some opportunities where they've got different peer groups. But they, especially identical twins, often share peer groups like my mates were. They live in LA now. But some, yeah, we used to do a lot of stuff together because of that. And the, um, yeah, so it's a really good example of that. And that's kind of why, going back to the twins episode, um, Arnie and Danny DeVito, you know, were separated at birth and that was the real vulnerability for Danny DeVito's character Mm. because he didn't, he went off to the orphanage and all that stuff. And when they came back together, they had this amazing opportunity and Arnie was really strong. He was just, I don't know if you remember, he's really gullible because he's been in a safe tropical island where no one's, you know, tried to rob him or challenge him or lie to him. Danny DeVito's been really strong at that. But it actually proves that when they came back together, they were even stronger together and that's what happens with twins is they're really good at picking up each other's strengths and going okay. on and having good development opportunities. So, yeah, it's an awesome question. Yeah. But, um, but Just yeah. a slight follow-up. Are you going to be in the sequel of said <laughs> film at all? Uh, I think it's currently got about 40% of Rotten Tomatoes, so <laughs> okay. I'm not sure how much. <laughs> not, sure. not funding the uh, second part of that one. Okay. Cool. No, but it's a great, great movie. Okay, awesome. Uh, two questions to go. How do we best support kids and teens with mental health issues and their friendships? Yeah, this is such a great question and this is my real clinical space. Yep. Like, so I see a lot of kids, you know, with clinical anxiety or depression mm-hmm. and often the biggest thing that I'm trying to pull off is get them back engaged with their peers, like, which is the whole point of this topic is like it's a big preventative, you know, factor and good for early prevention with kids that are struggling, but it's actually the same for kids that are actually really deeply struggling gotcha. with their own mental health. So we talked about this a fair bit on what was the um, school refusal one? God, we're so bad at remembering which movie was um, linked with it. Was it Paris Bueller's Day Off? It was, and we yeah. focused on Cameron. Cameron, yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean is that Cameron is really struggling but in a good way he has this like unconditional friendship. Who's naughty? With Ferris. Just on that? Yeah, yeah, who's who's naughty. And how good is he for him? He's really good. Sorry, I don't really Yeah. I'm not as big a fan of Ferris oh, as you don't. are. Don't. We, um, we thought about this on the episode. We don't need to go through it again. <laughs> it still reminds me of that mum that sent in her daughter Sloane. I know. Yeah, so, I know. Um, but anyway, I digress. The point is that, yeah, so a big component of especially anxiety and depression in mental health in teens and younger kids is that they just stop engaging socially. And it can be really hard for parents because you watch them and you're like, oh, man, they don't have any mates anymore and they don't, like, have any connections and all that stuff. And that must be so hard. Oh, really? Like, it's made it hard for me and they're my patients and not my kids. Yeah, I've seen like, my kids sort of turned out once by mates and it was the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever watched. She's, she was three at the time. Sorry, go mm. on. Yeah, I remember that story. Oh, so But, yeah, so often the, the best thing about it is all these kids, and I've got, like, some in particular – that I, you know, have been fortunate to get to know really well, um, who have had real difficulties with um, social relationships in the setting of mental illness. It's amazing when they come back. It's just so beautiful. Mm. And these families are often the most elated about that, about seeing them have joy with their peers again. So what you've got to think about, and we're not going to touch the stuff because we've already done a little bit on understanding anxiety. We're going to have to do almost a whole other podcast series on anxiety. We will. What you do about it. So we're going to mention and highlight the fact that addressing the mental health more broadly is really important with these kids. So I'm not dismissing that. 
But when you're looking at kids who have, you know, mental health problems and are struggling with friendships, it's really important that when you're also addressing the mental health stuff, you're addressing the reintroduction to peer relationships bit again as well. And really prioritising it. Like yeah. not to add more onto the no, parent, no, no. but like yeah. we're, you're flagging that it's one of the really important things to try and maintain if the kid is struggling through that mental health stuff. Yeah, and there's a couple of tips and tricks to it. it. Yeah, tell me, how do you promote it? So the first one, like a lot of this stuff, but especially with these kids, is you do it gently. You don't be like, mate, go back and start playing footy every week and train two nights a week or, you know, why don't you go back to school full time if the kid's struggling or, you know, how come you're not kind of having going to all the parties again and all that stuff. So immersion's not the key. No, because you're just putting a huge wall up in front of the kid. You're being like, mate, you haven't seen your friends in months or, you know, you don't seem that interested anymore. Just jump back in, you know, get back on the horse kind of thing. And that's, that just means the kid can't take that step because they're like, that step's huge. You know, I can't – you've created too big a – too high a hurdle, too wide a gap for me to jump over, whatever it is. So you've got to make it smaller and achievable. And sometimes that's just being in the space where peers are again, remembering that school can be one of the hardest places for them to be. If you can hook them – so I'm often looking for the hook. So a lot of um, social bonding happens over hooks like we were talking about with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yep. You know, like you and I about kids, like yep. all the people I'm mates with at the dog park around dogs, like, you gotcha. know, there's that hook. So it's it would be harder to say to someone, go down to the dog park, there's 35 people there that catch up all the time, like it'll be awesome. It's easier to say, you seem to love walking the dog, why don't you go walk the dog? And then maybe you'll spark up a conversation with someone. And giving kids that social opportunity really gently and really gently is really important in thinking about what's the stuff they're into. And that's why a lot of the time I do not have a blanket rule against like video games and stuff because I've got heaps of kids that I see in clinic where they didn't have any mates and now they've got a really strong social group because they play video games yep. and they're learning social skills and having opportunity to build it better and then they step out into environments they're not as comfortable and safe in and they really gently get better at social relationships gotcha. and understanding it in those environments too. Yeah, okay. So small steps, not for Small immersion. steps and look for opportunities. Look for opportunities, look, look for, for hooks. hooks. What are the yeah, hooks? Things they like. And you can scaffold the hooks as well. You can set them up. For you sure. Can give them, you know, and it's just trying stuff. We don't ask kids to commit to, you know, a whole year of dance classes. We just say, if you give it a shot, it'd be awesome. I'll come with you, I'll support you, you know, do those things. And then often the relationships will happen gently, passively in those environments as opposed to, you know, showing up to the party, just make mates at school, whatever it is. It's also, it speaks back to that like social exclusion and kind of conflict that's happening. The other question about that, it's actually really important that kids have multiple spheres of social peer groups. The reason is because if they're having a really hard time at school and they're being completely excluded and bullying or whatever, they've got this other set of mates that they're like, cool, I'll just lean into that friendship group a bit. And then when footy season's over, they can lean into another one or whatever it is. And that's really protective is having multiple spheres of like community with your peers. And there'll be obviously overlap, but I found it really helpful in my time. Like when I was going through med school, I was boxing and it was awesome because I had this completely different social group. There was no overlap, you know, so I'd go and box and be a completely different narrative around me, a completely different thing. And I'm sure you're the same. Love that. Then you've got your workmates and you're like, these are work people. And it's actually great because there'll be times where you're like, work's driving me nuts or school's driving me nuts. Or actually, I'm injured in BJJ, I can't actually go. So you've got to have another protective community that you can be a part of. Mm. And that's why it's really important for kids to have more than one. Awesome. I like all that. That's understandable. Um, our final question, 
And it's a long question with a lot of detail, but it's a cracker. So here I go. Hi, Nick and Billy. Firstly, a massive thank you for your incredible podcast. It's been a game changer for me and your warmth and generosity in sharing your parenting and clinical experience is extraordinary. I'm a lucky human with two incredible kids, daughter age eight and son age six. We're on a new journey with my son who is in prep and has very recently been diagnosed with diagnosed as neurodivergent with both ADHD and autism. My son is incredible. He's full of joy, affectionate and delightful around others, particularly his safe people like his family. But often happiest when he's in his own company and playing by himself. We've been practicing social communication with him at home and in therapy to develop these skills and are noticing some really positive progress. At this point, he is not bothered that he doesn't have as many friendships, but I know this will likely change as he gets older. Are you able to provide any tips or advice on how we can positively support him as he grows up and realises that he doesn't seem to have the same type of relationship, friendships as his school peers seem to? Thank you again. As a parent who is a child of the 80s and a movie buff, I look forward to listening to you every week. Amazing. What a question. Thanks to the genius of Nicholas McCormack coming up with the uh, movie <laughs> idea using <laughs> using the referencing. But, um, People hope to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, no, so amazing question. There's so much in this and I, I know that we're getting out of time but I still no, no. give it a bit of space. Give it some space, this one. So there's stuff that this mum knows and doesn't need me to say but I think is important for people to hear around a couple of different things. Um, I guess the most powerful thing is how beautiful the world has changed in the last 10 years about um, accepting and celebrating neurodiversity. So it used to be like there were two kind of camps. There were all the, you know, not heartless doctors, but all the doctors that had kind of a, a um, deficit or disability-based approach to clinical practice, you know, that was just looking at what these kids can't do. You know, they can't do this, they can't do that. And a lot of families, rightfully or wrongfully, felt like they were really disconnected from that process and it was kind of just very, you know, weakness deficit-based way of looking at these kids. And what's happened is there's been this really beautiful movement and I'm lucky that I get to work with some of these groups that advocate for neurodivergent, you know, kids or neuroatypical children and adolescents. And that neurodiversity now recognises that there's lots of different ways to do things and think about things and there's lots of different skills that you can have. And we've moved away from this narrow approach. And I think when that is based around inclusion and celebrating differences and things, it doesn't take away from the struggles that they have because parents aren't you know, saying, I just want to ignore that my child struggles. They're actually saying... You know, I want my kid to still and not to challenge and make him feel like he's less than anyone else or she's not as good as other people. And that's the cool bit around it. And that's, you know, there's still that's still a really challenging space for a lot of people. But I'm really lucky that I work with lots of families and other heaps of professionals that are really focused on this space. And that's why it's really cool to get this question. And I want to do a whole topic on this. The other thing is that's really cool is she's talking about a child with two common diagnoses, ADHD is about 7% of kids. Autism at the moment is about 1 in 60 kids. So really common. Once you have one of those, there's about a 40% chance that you have something similar. So they commonly occur together. ADHD kids are gorgeous and they struggle. Um, so ADHD is a lot of, like in the names, a lot of attention problems and hyperactivity problems. 
the reason kids with ADHD struggle socially is a lot around impulsivity. So they're just so impulsive that it's quite hard to socialise with them because they're just like, like I am with you often, just talking the whole time, like I am now, <laughs> you know. And they they've kind of struggle because they got all this stuff they want to say, like I just have for the last three minutes, and they struggle to override that impulsivity and be like, I need to give Nick a turn to talk. Yep. So that's the stuff that they find hard. It also makes them vulnerable as well because they can't think out like what's going to happen if they do X or Y Z or they say this more as much as you know people who don't have ADHD can. So it's really important, and this will be happening for this child in that context. Focus on developing the skill sets of like waiting your turn, asking questions like is a really important bit asking like to questions. keep conversations going. Gotcha. That's a really you know giving space and some kids with ADHD even struggle with the physical space bit because they're like they just want to be in your face and I want to tell you this exciting thing and all that stuff so what you do is you role model and practice that and specifically cue them up for it you know set them up going into that environment make sure you ask him about how basketball's going or mm-hmm. make sure you know what I mean and listen active listening is a really important part that we I don't think we've spoken much about on this podcast but active listening is a really pro-social behavior about like understanding and saying back to the other person and clarifying and those type of things so that the conversation keeps going the other person feels like they're heard all of that stuff so those are the things that kind of to help with the impulsivity aspect of adhd that kids struggle with autism is a different thing completely and although it is a neurodevelopmental diagnosis and that's why i work with a lot of children who have a diagnosis of autism and support families um, it's different. They have a social and communication difficulty with um, relationships and friendships. And often that's around kind of the pragmatics of language, like what's the context mean, you know, someone's being silly, that's you know what, not what they actually mean, they're not being literal, all those social rules. And also like a really big part that people will say the majority of communication is nonverbal and often kids with autism struggle with that bit. That's why I kind of maintaining eye contact and looking and going, oh, that slight frown means that person doesn't like what I've said, I should explain myself. Or that person looks a bit quizzical, I probably didn't explain that properly. That person's body language means that, you know, they want me to step back a bit, all of those things. So it's really important that we observe our kids and go, oh, I think they actually struggle with that. And that's not some black and white rule that kids with autism don't have those skills and every kid that doesn't have autism does. There's a lot of complexity to it. And if we can watch our kids and go, I think the thing they struggle with a little bit is that they just don't, they're not very good at reading body language, you know, or they're just, they're not really good at being active listeners. Mm -hmm. They're not really good at asking questions about the other child. They don't even know how to end a conversation. You know what I mean? Like we're all a bit hopeless at that. That's the, I better let you go. You know, (laughs) what you're actually saying is I want to go, which is fine, you know, on the phone. But a lot of kids... (laughs) A lot of kids struggle with that to the point where it causes a bit of dysfunction socially. So how do we kind of watch them and say, and there's a whole body of literature which we'll get to in future episodes around how do we specifically support kids with diagnoses like autism and ADHD around social relationships. And yeah, we do, you know, just entire episodes on that stuff because it's it's really great. And a lot of the therapists that I work with are so strong in that space and they really achieve huge success with kids because that's what they're focusing on and instead of saying oh the child does this repetitive behavior that we all don't like actually go oh relationships seem important to them so you know how do we focus on further skill development in that and that's the thing the beautiful thing about this parent is that they're recognizing this child's journey as they get older might be different about how they see themselves 
but I'm sure I can tell by the question they'll be celebrating all the awesome things about this kid. That's the way they describe them, but also the approach they have through the life course that's really exciting and that's kind of looking at that. And I think as the world goes on, it'll get a more inclusive and better space that we all benefit from that inclusion and these kids will, you know, hopefully live really rich, meaningful, supportive lives that are embedded within a community that really includes them and benefits from them being an active participant in it. That's the cool stuff. Yeah, and you're big on that. Like the whole community benefits from mm. that. Totally. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what it was like for you going through school, but yeah, yeah, I was really lucky to be around a lot of kids, um, you know, and saw it as that's the community. This has not come one group and another group. You know, yeah. that's what we're all a part of that. And that's, yeah, that's just... I was really lucky to be raised in that kind of environment and approach, but it's becoming a lot more common. And, yeah, it's not to dismiss that there aren't specific challenges that are really tough for these kids and their families, but they can't overshadow who the kid is, you know, no. the diagnosis. That's what I often talk about with families and other professionals. Once we say this kid has autism, it doesn't change who the kid is. It only should be used to benefit the child and everyone else around them to think about what is the evidence for stuff that can support them to get them even higher in their functioning and their happiness and overcoming some of the challenges they have. But we still are guided by the individual kid. There's no textbook that says this is what Billy needs. You know, yep. It's just it guides us. And that's why I prompted you because when you say that, I think it articulates it really well. So mm. obviously uh, uh, agree or agree with what you're saying, but the way you articulate that, about the importance of that child is fantastic and I just really like that sort of attitude that, or not attitude but that kind of lens you put on. It's really cool. Yeah, well, I mean, it speaks to so much of what we've talked about in this episode, you know, the kids that are being excluded. It's really important that actually the entire footy team, the entire classroom, the entire school and the schools that I see do it well are phenomenal at making sure that there is ownership and responsibility in that entire community for everyone that's a part of it. Yeah. And that we all need to learn from the schools that do that well 100%. and reflect it in our broader communities instead of just saying, oh, well, that family's got to sort it out and then come back to us when they can fit in. It's nuts. Yep. Not good. Mm. Not good enough. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, that is our eight questions for this week. So that knocks on the head episode 32. Um, important thing to reiterate here is that the second part episodes are completely driven by people and listeners asking questions and fans. Um, <laughs> it's so important, guys. As you've seen here, we had really specific questions, so we can take really specific questions from you on anything that you're like, oh, is that too complex to ask? I know we ask you on Instagram as well just to drop in some quick questions, but you can take the time to email us directly at popcultureparenting at gmail.com. Or send us a DM. Long-winded is fine, guys. So send us through to Pop Culture Parenting on Instagram. Really important because uh, these questions make this such a rich um, experience for other people. And there's a lot of people with similarly complex or long questions that we love answering. So short, long, just send them through. And we also some people might send in questions thinking, "Oh, it was a bit. It wasn't right that topic. They won't answer it." It's actually driving. I think our next episode is going to be based on a. It's just bumped up the list. A really heavy topic. Yeah, a really heavy topic coming up on the next one. Um, that yeah, precisely. Actually, you that just was a listener's that. question. A listener's question, and we we're like, "Yep, that's cool. going to dictate so we'll the path." Now. Yep, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it, but it's going to be a really, really tough one. But that's it for this week, mm. Doctor Billy. 
Well yep. done. Thank Fantastic. you. No, well done to you too. It's, it's great. Guided yeah. us very well. Oh, no, please. Stop. I, I think I read the last question pretty well. Yeah, you nailed it. I butchered one in the middle. <laughs> but that's all right. Hey, mate, that's why pencils have erasers. <laughs> it is. If it we is. learn how to edit, these guys might never bloody hear it. But we don't know how to edit. It's the whole way through. This exactly. is it. Yeah, this is all we got. The, you'll hear the heater on, the dog barking. Oh, the, <laughs> the dog barking. I looked at you early on and I was like, mm-hmm, I'm going to yeah. fix this. How are we no, fix we, it? we were in. So whatever comes during the episode, that's what stays. <laughs> it sure is. Can't edit to save ourselves. <laughs> Not that you do a bad job, mate. <laughs> no. Just saying. No, no. Awesome. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Nick.